0: Honey, be before the, be for the, yeah. honey, be before the. Uh-huh. I'm ready. I know you are. Come Welcome to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz california 90.7 fm i'm julie murphy and tonight i have the great pleasure of welcoming poet david baker to the show welcome david
1: thanks julie i'm really happy to uh to sit here and look at you and talk with you about poems
0: yeah i'm excited to have you here and i just want to give our listeners a heads up that you will be actually here in santa cruz in a couple of weeks on November 8th, for the Hive Live reading, Reading with Shelley Wong at the Museum of Art and History at 8 o'clock. And uh, our listeners can get a link for the eBrite tickets on our website, www.hivepoetry.org.
1: Yeah, that's really fun. I've known Shelley for several years, um, worked with her at the Kenyon Review um summer workshop a few years ago she's got a brand new book out that's just terrific so
0: yeah yeah you both do so it's gonna be really exciting i want to take a minute to introduce you to our listeners david baker is the author of 13 books of poetry most recently whale fall put out in july of this year by norton and also swift new and selected poems in 2019, Scavenger Loop in 2015, and Never Ending Birds in 2009, which won the Theodore Rothke Memorial Poetry Prize. His six books of prose include Seek After, Essays on Modern Lyric Poets, and Show Me Your Environment. Among his awards are prizes and grants from the Guggenheim Foundation, NEA, Mellon Foundation, and Poetry Society of America. His work appears in such journals as American Poetry Review, The Atlantic, The Nation, New York Times, The New Yorker, Poetry, and The Yale Review. Baker has taught widely in college, universities, and writer's workshops across the country and abroad, and he has lived in rural central Ohio since 1983. Just such a pleasure and an honor to have you with us, David.
1: Thank you, Julie. Gosh, 1983. I heard you say that. That was some (laughs) years ago. I've I've been, it's weird. I've been in Ohio for longer than I've been, or longer than I lived in my home state of Missouri. Wow. Um, People ask where I'm from, and I say Missouri, but I realize I've been here for 40 years. Wow.
0: I just wanted to say that if you're not familiar with David's work, you're in for a real treat today and david i just really admire how your poems achieve such intimacy both in their narrative detail so in the the realm of human emotion and human relationship but also um such deep uh lyric moments and they're so steeped in the living world in the you know the beauty and the terror <laughs> of the living world and uh, so moving in that way
1: well, thank and, you uh, I'll, I'll, at some point i'll probably just quit thanking you because
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
1: it, it, i'm not ready to do that yet. thank you for oh no no no
0: and y- you know
1: <laughs>
0: it, i i really love having um poets on the show that are so inspiring to me and i think you really invite your readers to think very deeply about place Mm-hmm. And about our place as individuals, but also as humans, you know, as collectively and really about mutuality, that uh, we're all here together and we're in it together. And
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we turn to poetry for. It tends to be a very secluded art, at least at first. We don't yeah. really do our work in each other's company. Um, we don't help each other that much, as at least as we're beginning poems um we're pretty isolated and yet poems and the music that poems make um are one of the most connective things that we have um not just in the connections of our daily lives where we live but in our soulful lives in the interior life the inner life that's one of the things i turn to poems for and one of the things I love most in other people's poems. So it sort of stands to reason that because I seem to be moved by those kinds of things, that's what I want to try to do yeah. in my poems as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very moving and inspiring for sure. And, um, I encourage all of our listeners, if you don't have any of David's books on your shelf, run out to your local bookstore and, um, make sure they have some and bring some home because they're just really great companions.
1: I encourage them to do that too. <laughs> yeah.
0: so that's the only way poetry is going to survive is if we oh,
1: that's a fact. keep Word telling the world
0: we want it.
1: <laughs> one book at a time, one story at a time, one yeah. poem. at a time. That's right.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I asked you to bring in a, a poem of someone else's that you admire just to kick our conversation off. And um, you brought in a Stanley Plumley poem.
1: Yeah, that's right. He is one of the poets I go to most frequently for that kind of solace and that kind of encouragement. And with Plumley, also that kind of music, the depth and elegance and gorgeousness of his of his melodies, his yeah. syntax. He's I mean, nobody writes sentences like him. Yeah. Um, so I did. I um, suggested this one poem that I've spent a lot of time with, and I've never i never exhausted i never ceased to find new things in it um poem called in passing shall i read this
0: yes please do
1: this is by stanley plumley from a book called summer celestial in passing on the canadian side we're standing far enough away the falls look like photography the roar a radio in the real rain So vertical it fuses with the air, the boat below us is starting for the caves. Everyone on deck is dressed in black, braced for weather and crossing against the current of the river. They seem lost in the gorge dimensions of the place, then, in fog, in a moment, gone. In the Chekhov story, the lovers live in a cloud above the sheer witness of a valley they call it circumstance they look up at the open wing of the sky or they look down into the future death is a power like any other pull of the earth the people in the rain gear with the cameras want to see it from the inside from behind from the dark looking into the light they want to take its picture give it size How much easier to get lost in the gradations of a single large and yellow leaf drifting its goodbye down one side of the gorge. There is almost nothing that does not signal loneliness, then loveliness, then something connecting all we will become. All around us, the luminous passage of the air, the flat, wet, gold of the leaves. I will never love you more than at this moment here in October, the new rain rising slowly from the river.
0: Oh, beautiful. That's David Baker reading Stanley Plumley's poem in passing here on the Hive Poetry Collective, KSQD 90.7 FM. This is just such an exquisite poem.
1: Yeah, and our show is in October. <laughs>
0: yes, so, yeah, <laughs> this is like a complete accident. Uh, <laughs> but
1: October such exquisite poem, you're right.
0: Yeah, such perfect timing. And, <laughs> you know, I've always loved this poem.
1: The haunting poem. It seems to proceed by telling the story. You know, here we are at Niagara Falls, essentially, with yes. all the other tourists, and we're looking over the edge. And yet it proceeds by this very nonlinear way in memory, in references to a Chekhov story, um, in this kind of grand sweep of things when he's talking about the power of, that death has. And then in, the, in an instant flips that really sizable gesture to look at the single leaf. Yeah. Um, yeah it's an amazing poem of perspective.:
0: Totally, the camera lens keeps moving in and out throughout the whole poem.
1: It does. It gets dizzying. I mean that that's something of the sublime that I think he's got in mind in this poem to be to be visiting this landscape, to be visiting a landscape that really leaves us awestruck. Um, it's so beautiful we go there, and it's scary. And yeah. It's so scary and perilous that we have constructed handrails and paths and all kinds of warnings so that we don't fall or so that we don't jump. But the temptation is to imagine falling into that. That's and right. That imagination becomes what he says in his poem. Death is a power like any other pull of the earth. And that that gravitational
0: pull. Right. Is- he follows that with the line: the people in the rain gear with the cameras want to see it from the inside from behind from the dark looking into the light that's right
1: that's an eerie image isn't it yeah
0: opposite we're usually don't want to be in the light but here we are in the dark looking at the light
1: exactly right and it's that kind of abyss that kind of size and darkness that he then uses to flip the poem one more time to be a poem about love yeah you don't see that coming you you do not see that coming and you realize the way he handles it how completely right and exact that gesture is and how completely connected are those what we think of as separate narratives the elegiac the death narrative and the erotic narrative they're the same thing that that beautiful oblivion yeah uh, in both
0: Yeah. And then those hints towards it earlier in the poem, everyone on the deck is dressed in black. Right. They seem lost in the gorge dimensions of the place, then in fog, in a moment gone. You know, it's he's just speaking to that ephemeral quality of our existence, both in the moment of the people on the boat, but also in the course of our life.
1: That's right. That uh, that proximity to annihilation or, or erasure or the jump that we might make into that darkness.
0: Yeah, yeah. In your talk, you said something about uh, pastoral is about ownership and ease, and the sublime is about facing the obliteration.
1: That's right. We think they're sort of related, and the sublime often emerges as uh, a landscape out of the pastoral but the pastoral is very tame it's very uh measured off it's um a place of entertainment uh it's secure and the sublime is exactly the opposite the sublime is terror yeah uh, i think of rilke's angels
0: uh, yeah every yeah.
1: angel is terrifying
0: yeah yeah and we do feel that pull into it uh until the moment we want to grab the rail,
1: that's right. That's why we go to the top of tall buildings. That's why yes. we the Empire State Building. That's yes. why we look over the edge of the of the Grand Canyon or any other uh, place of massive dimension and height. It's to imagine that we have wings.
0: Yes, I love that you brought this poem in because this poem haunts your work and it, that movement between the different scales of the minute and the larger context. And that movement to really peering in over the edge and really facing that oblivion is what a lot of your poems really do, no matter what their sub- subject matter start out with. So that maybe, may be
1: right. I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. We we work on one poem and one line at a time and they, they become something and they, they, they amount to a thing, we hope. Um, but sometimes the the least reliable person to discuss a poem is the p- person who wrote it, <laughs> but right. I'll, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking very hard in this book, Whale Fall, um, as I was about halfway through it several years ago. I was thinking very hard about time and place. Um, yes. I have always found myself writing about the place around me um the midwest the the outdoors the the natural landscape and I've been trying really deliberately to enlarge what that means um to include glaciers and oceans and any kind of place on this globe because they're all deeply connected and really part of a single system um and so i've re- been really deliberate about that i've done quite a bit of study and travel to
0: yeah
1: to that landscape and the same with the passing of time um we tend to tell time in pretty small portions in poems mm-hmm. um, i wanted not only to include years and years passing in in these poems or in this book but um whole epochs whole yeah. geological yeah um movements of centuries and millennia um the big the big passing of time as well as the tiny passing of time
0: yeah and i think that maybe that's what makes your new book whale fall stand apart from some of your other work is the scale of place and time because it seems to me your poems have always been very situated in the living world like the living world comes into your poems regularly frequently you know we you know see where you are by the landscapes that you're describing no matter what the narrative arc or the lyric moment is in the poem and the poems in whale fall really really push those limits of time and place and um
1: thank you i hope so it's hard to it's hard to manage that it's hard to figure out how to do that in a say in a short poem um I was
0: hoping you were going to give us the secret to that.
1: <laughs> I, I will as soon as I as soon as I figure it out. You know the secret to that is um, sincerity, and the secret to that yeah. is music. Um, yeah, the kind of the kind of um, musical refrain or musical line that any gesture in a poem is is put on. That's the convincing thing. Yes. Um, the artfulness of the thing rather than the data.
0: Yeah. And and would you say, like, as you were working on this book, were you, like, consciously trying to go towards eco-poetry, like, in that sense that you're really trying to point out or get to the, you know, the struggle of, of other living things or kind of what's happening in a larger sense in the world? Or did yes. that just, Yeah.
1: I think I've been moving toward that my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, um there's, a, there's a a really smart poetry critic named John Shoptaw, who has written about the the categories of nature poetry. And I, I sort of see some of this is deliberate and some of this is just inevitable, I guess. My own procedure has having moved from being something like a nature poet to something like an environmental poet, yeah. to something more like an eco-poet now yeah uh, that has that someone who feels more rage and compulsion to name names and to not edit out the scientific processes of things yeah in to include um hard facts and figures and data as well as the effective or melodic or musical parts of a lyric poem But all of that is kind of in the service of speaking about in behalf of alongside the natural world. Um, Yes. And trying to trying to make my own bird songs and human songs.
0: Oh, yeah, that's great. I I think that's really true. And I think this book really accomplishes that. Um, Maybe it'd be good to hear one of your poems if you're just turning in this is the high poetry collective i'm julie murphy i'm here today with david baker reading from his new book whale fall and maybe we could start with the poem the first poem in the book the telling
1: you bet i'd be happy to read that one this is kind of what i was talking about a minute ago it's a short poem it's 11 lines long um, though it started as a sonnet it's a poem about a glacier uh, a glacier in Iceland where I have visited but it's in some way I think more largely a poem about that vast sweep of time that describes a gra- a glacier's life span mm-hmm. the, the thousands of years the tens of thousands of years the hundreds of thousands of years and the fact that it tells the story too it moves as well yes though it doesn't seem to so the title of the poem is called the telling um and i guess it refers to whatever story the glacier is telling as it as it melts um as it moves so anyway i'll be quiet <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's, the poem. here's the poem the telling down from such heights and up from depths beyond measure The old ice, slowly now, quicker than the stones can hold it, knows its path, like the one note of a bird flown beyond us. In ages since we've forgotten, the wind holds us in its heavy sleeves. So sorry now, at the pace of our elders' tongues down the valley, it is going the clocks have stopped. It is happy to be finished, almost there, singing the song no one heard the last time either. When the rains began.
0: Beautiful. That was David Baker reading the poem The Telling from Whale Fall here on the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Julie Murphy, and we're listening on KSQD 90.7 FM. Wow, this poem reminds me so much of the Stanley Plumley poem you just read in the way that it's got such height and depth. And, um, you know, the sublime is here. The edge is here. (laughs) And the poem ends with the rain, as does Plumley's poem.
1: That's right. Uh, With the water, the whole book is about the waters of the world they may be frozen Mm. they may be evaporating they may be gathered in vast oceans or little creeks but it's a water book yes Um, and though this glacier is melting pretty quickly um this is a glacier called mir by the way in uh in iceland it's melting quickly that melt is also adding to the waters of the world
0: yes Um, Yeah.
1: this big, 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 almost unimaginable cycle of things. As I was working on the poem, the the poem, the language itself began to melt in front of me. As I said, it began as a a sonnet, and it's ended up shorter, 11 lines long. Almost all the lines are 10 syllables long, though one of the lines in the middle of the poem is only nine syllables, so it's melted away. And there's Mm -hmm. something, if you... If people have time to look at the poem uh, visually, you'll see that it's that it's caved out, that it's carved out, that it's excavated from the inside, the way a glacier melts from the middle and mm-hmm. from the bottom. And I've tried to think about ways to let that slippage become part of the syntax of the poem. There are phrases or sentences that don't quite finish and that turn into the next phrase or sentence. Yes, that's the movement slips that was fun that wasn't the plan but one of the things one discovers in you know draft number 55 uh to to go with that
0: yeah it's like the poem begins to make its own demands
1: it it, writing a poem is really about turning it turning it over to its own yeah um aspirations and and seeing what it is that it's doing and helping it along its way yeah it becomes less and less and less one's own
0: yeah and i love how the like the human story also comes into this poem in the lines now at the pace of our elders tongues and so we have that whole slow ancient in by using the word elders we've got the whole history of humanity Kind of coming
1: in yeah it's it's just a small gesture in the poem but the history of humanity is a very small um blip on the timeline of yeah uh, this planet as yeah. well yeah but yeah, the, the the elders tongues the the songs of the birds the songs of the birds who have gone yeah. um as as in the background there is this i guess suggestion of something like extinction yes um, As the poem proceeds
0: that's right. And um, this this poem reminds me in the way that it's uh, structured on the page and that the, the first line is a full length line and the other lines are broken up with a space between a session between them, almost in two columns, almost like the
1: yeah.
0: The um, glacier is breaking apart and, and moving down the page and and it does end with a period at the very end. That's right. um, and no other punctuation. It reminds me of Merwin, in that sense of how his lines are rhythmic and stacked, and can be read different ways depending on where you put the emphasis.
1: Well, Merwin is another one of the ghosts in this whole book. The way it yes. normally is, um, I can think of very few contemporary poets whose musicality and whose lyrical capabilities are are more persuasive to me than william merwin's or stanley plumley's so yeah. they they continue to be um guides for me um yeah the business of the, the sasura is was completely accidental hmm. it simply happened that the first line of the poem is the longest line Yes. i have 10 syllables, but it's got more characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and as I began to fiddle with how they were falling on the page, I saw that several of the other lines were shorter and that I could split them in half. They're almost all broken after the fifth fifth uh-huh. uh, syllable and construct that little gap in the middle and still maintain the syllabic um, meter. So yeah. that was really fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And, uh, you also have poems at the end of each section in the book that are kind of broken up in a similar way a little more space between the lines but
1: That's they have hard. that
0: tessure, uh between the
1: there's a lot parts. of melting and absence yeah. and erasure and the going away of things um you're talking about the four poems at the ends of sections one and two and four and five. Yes. I didn't do that with section three because section three is just one great big poem. I think those little poems at the end of those sections like echoes. Um, There's a poem in this book about echolocation or echolocation in the lives of whales and the lives of hummingbirds and the, tactic of locating one's position by emitting a sound and that sound bouncing back. We know where we are by the echo that we can hear. And so I was thinking of those little poems at the ends of the sections as echoes of those sections, the the sort of bounce back um, of whatever happens in that section. Um, They are complete poems, those little poems, but they're also phrasal Um, in a way that they're listening to what just happened before them and answering. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. I I like that about them so much. Um, Well, maybe this will be a good time to take a little break and then we'll come back. Perfect. You're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM can follow the hive poetry collective on twitter at hive poetry we have a website www.hivepoetry.org where you can find all of our previous broadcasts and you can follow our current events the hive live readings in conjunction with bookshop santa cruz and at the museum of art and history in santa cruz and you can follow us on facebook the hive poetry collective on KSQD. Welcome back. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Julie Murphy. I'm here today with poet David Baker, reading poems, talking about poetry, and uh, delighting in his new book, Whale Fall. I wanted to take a minute, David, to ask you about the title and the title poem, Whale Fall. It's a beautiful and amazing poem, a little too long to read on the radio, but i I wanted to ask you about the title, and that poem comprises the whole middle section of the book and um, maybe you can tell us how you chose the title and how you placed that poem where it is in the collection.
1: Sure, it is a big poem. I think it's sixteen or seventeen pages long. yeah, oh, it's ridiculous.
0: It's amazing <laughs>
1: um well. <laughs> And the only ridiculous—I mean, here's a guy who grew up and has lived his whole life in the Midwest with the presumption to write about whales. But I have found out a lot about whales, and I've found out that whales have lived right here where I'm living. um, In fact, Mm. Uh, it's one big poem. There, there are two critters in this poem that are the totem animals: the whale in the waters, and the hummingbird, they are hummingbirds that run, yes. that they fly throughout this tiny, tiny little things. Um, because again, the, the scale. Migra- scale,
0: that's very the, large, That's, what I'm, very that's what I'm getting to, yeah. the, the
1: scale, and the fact that hummingbirds travel farther in their migratory path than any other animal on this globe, given their body size. Um, whales are w- terribly endangered, Whales are one of the ways that we can monitor the health or the, the, the dis-ease of the waters of the world, the oceans of the world. The term whale fall is a pretty delicious term. Um, it comes from oceanography and whale people who have described when a single whale dies at the surface of the ocean and if that happens in a very deep place, it can take weeks, months a year for the carcass of that whale mm. to settle eventually on the very bottom and There are three really distinct phases that that carcass will go through, and they have to do with the depth of the ocean and they have to do with the state of the of the carcass wow. that first is ripped to pieces by hagfish and sharks mm-hmm. and you know that first that first generation of predators yeah. who strip. Strip the flesh or strip the body. And then, as it sinks further, that carcass becomes pretty evacuated, becomes more skeletal, and it doesn't fall as much as it floats to the side. The, the water is getting colder. It's not, the body is not decaying quickly. It eventually goes deeper into the water where there's no light at all. And hardly any accessible oxygen, hardly anything alive, except the body of this whale has carried what becomes an entire cosmos of other things and becomes like a garden. The body of the whale is like a big seed. And there will be literally thousands and millions of things living in the loose cosmos of this this old carcass at the bottom of the ocean. I find that beautiful and encouraging and hopeful and kind of inevitable for the way that we might tell time or what we might expect of the passing of time so anyway that's that's where the that's where the term comes from and the poem moves back and forth between simply describing this one whale in the Mm -hmm. three stages of its of its death and decay and then Back and forth and back and forth with lots of documentation of how whales are dying now. Yeah. What is causing the deaths of whales. And that is interspersed with a personal narrative. Um story of my own dis-ease or disease. I've had a chronic viral illness for nearly 30 years. That has at different times been very perilous and scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at times I've been more or less okay. So the other thing the poem does, I've never written as much as I have in this poem about this illness that I that I have. So again, scale. Yes. <laughs> a land animal and a water animal and a big one and a not so big one. And the whole poem is about illness and health and how we tell those narratives.
0: Yeah. And I think the way that it's kind of in the middle of the collection of poems. It kind of anchors the space where it's in conversation with the rest of the poems,
1: I think so. I think it acts like the body of the whale, uh, yeah in, like in the middle of the poem, where yeah. all of these other things are in orbit around it or yeah. are dependent on it or or circulate um around that body that, yeah. anyway that's that's the fantasy that I entertained as I was putting the book together no. and, and, Sort of yeah. imagining how that, where that big poem might might reside.
0: That's right, and, and I I love how the book begins with that Merwin quote epigraph, "Look how I am attached to the ends of things," and uh, I I have that same attachment, so I really resonate with these poems uh, quite well, and and that poem very literally embodies that epigraph.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah,
0: I'd like to hear you read another poem, and maybe we could turn to Snow Falling, which is really the first hint of illness that comes into the book.
1: Yeah, that's right, this is a poem for my daughter, and is one of the more personal or confessional of the poems. It doesn't matter to the poem, but this one is based on on a real thing. When my daughter, who's 30 now, was a little girl, she announced one day that she wanted a swing set in the backyard. And I had been unwell for three or four years. I've been really sick and had begun to get better and loved projects. And she said, you know, would you build me something? So I loaded up my pickup truck and uh, went to uh, Lowe's and bought the pieces for a great big swing set, playground, slide, crawling on kind of jungle gym thing. And, uh, dumped it all in my backyard and took all my tools out to the backyard and wired it all so that I could use my power tools on a, on a Friday, at which point we had a terrible weather change. It got cold and it began to sort of get drizzly and misty and sleety. And I just stayed out there and built this thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) over over the
1: course of of three days. Uh, And it still stands in the house where, um, I was living at the time and where we were living at the time. Anyway, um, there's a poem called snow falling, which dawns on me. That is <laughs> sorry. I'm a jabber box today. That's a term uh, in the whale fall poem too. There's a, there's yes. a marine snow, uh, which happens in, in the ocean as tiny particulate matter, fecal matter, uh, bacteria stuff, um, including the the decaying pieces of the body of the whale, sprinkle and fall like snow down through the water. Okay, back to this one, snow falling. I aimed to work all weekend. Her teacups, tiny shoes like two thimbles. I had not been well for so long. By the time I'd wired the backyard the right tools a book of specs laid out its diagrams and directions that i could choose among such languages it had started first as mist as cold sheath less as falling than floating against the gray sublime of pines like a coat of what's to come A crackling among high needles, more static than whisper, more shiver than chill. She wanted, who's to say then, it's too cold, little one, I'm not well, no, not just now. A place to play in the yard, a slide, a swing, or two, who can say what passes for health when you've been so long? fevered. I cut the A-frames to size, measured, marked off spots to drill for the standing platform. I sawed in a whiteout of sound, but for talking to myself, there were lilacs willing to open their black buds all along the slippery walk. But no, black water in the creek Crusted at the banks, it was like singing the days, I tell you. But no, whatever song there was, was frost breaking over the grass, wind leaning against dark limbs. I worked the weekend through. I raised the beams and screwed them tight and fixed a slide so she could play. A swing set a cradle of snow a thing I made for her and now it seems for you amid the world's broken and shining things
0: beautiful that was David Baker reading the poem Snow Falling on the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM I'm Julie Murphy and wow David, this poem just I've read it so many times now, and there's so many movements between the living world and the speaker who's building these concrete things and the relationships in the poem. It, it really echoes plumly again between the sublime and the concrete. And
1: um maybe so. I I think that might be. I think that might be a useful way to think about it. It's also, I mean, like like Plumley's poem, like, like much of Merwin, a, a poem that has uh, a spine, it has a narrative instance, as if somebody in a landscape doing a thing. Yes. But it wants to let that evaporate and come back together over and over as it enlarges or gets smaller or becomes more, interior and then becomes more exterior in in the weather um a poem again about the fear of dying and at the same time this deep affection or love for the daughter who yeah. want to stand out there in the snow and make this thing by golly i'm gonna do it
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that love really comes through and and also just the the movement in the poem from the title snow falling to the first line I aim to line break work all weekend. And right there, we have the signal that this is not going to be straightforward.
1: It's not going to be straightforward. It looks like a mess in the first yeah. stand or the second yeah. step. But then that messy lineation, the long lines, the indented lines gets repeated over and over yes. so that it's as if you're following directions or there's an architecture at work um, that holds the thing together. And it has to do with the making of the poem itself, which is very much like the making of this big playground, you know, reading reading the, the instruction manual, looking at a bunch of pieces and thinking, how in the world am I gonna get this put together? And you just start. And from that work, A form begins to emerge a thing begins to be made in front of you and it becomes sturdy it becomes a substantial thing in the world that you can stand on um, yes made out of what looked like just broken pieces
0: and then there's the brokenness in the syntax and all the interruptions and and the movement from such um you know short small sentences to longer sentences of those Many of those longer sentences are interrupted with space and with commas like, she wanted. Dash, who's to say then? It's too cold, little one. I'm not well. No, not just now. Dash, a place to play in the yard, period. A slide, a swing or two, period. Who can say what passes for health when you've been so long fevered? And it echoes that opening again of all of those elements of the the little one and the much larger context and the illness again.
1: Yeah, I and hope we so.
0: want. We want <laughs> like that lust for life. She yeah. wanted.
1: I'm gonna stand here and make this because she asked for it and I'm gonna yeah. do it. By gosh. Yeah. And yeah, the poem is full of asides and parentheticals and yeah. interruptions, but you know, so is doing this kind of work. Um, and the snow is falling, and I just hit my finger with the hammer, and there are these other voices at work. Sometimes I try to edit this stuff away in a poem and find a pure kind of language. And sometimes, I, like this one, I invite the interruptions and make them uh, part of the fabric or part of the construction of the poem. <clears throat> that seems accurate to my
0: experience of the thing. Yeah. And, and this poem, it has those... Um... The interruptions, the repetition of but for or no but um, that come in and those r- little reversals and reconfiguring, we feel the mind of the speaker at work. We feel really what it costs, not just to make the swing set, but also to live the life, to write the poem. And and then that turning at the very end, a thing I made for her, and now it seems for you amid the world's broken and shining things and that last turn from those that concrete swing set back to the sublime in the world's broken and shining things
1: back to the sublime and back to the construction of the poem here's this thing i've I've made out of kind of a mess a messy start that's full of interruptions that's full of corrections in fact no that's not right no that's not right Something Thing. um as it was the case as i built this thing i would i would make mistakes and sometimes i would have to take apart what i built and sometimes <laughs> i just left the mistakes there and built around them and uh reconfigured the the thing i was making
0: well, yes, and you feel like for anyone who's ever built a thing and tried to follow those uh instructions At some doing point so. you just kind of
1: make it up. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like the poem enacts what that's really like <laughs> like I hope no, so. not yeah. this. Oh, It's falling apart over here. Wait.
1: I think this needs a nail over here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Where's that drill? I'm going to do this. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, it's, it's really so tr- so true to life. Well, this is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Julie Murphy. We're here today with poet David Baker, enjoying poems from his new book, Whale Fall, here on KSQD, Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. Oh, I have so many questions for you. Maybe I'll hold off on a question and perhaps you could read Extinction.
1: Sure, I'm happy to do that. Extinction. When you are gone, they will read your footprints if they still read as they might a poem about love wandering in circles here and there obscured washed out in places by weather sudden landslide keep walking pilgrim this is your great tale
0: beautiful this poem extinction it just speaks to so many poems in the book and these five lines have just been haunting me because they seem to be directing you speaking to me as the reader so directly like that the you can be all the creatures that have been in the poem the whales the hummingbirds uh the trilobites the devonian creatures in the fossils uh but also me and i wow. see myself wandering in circles here and there obscured trying to make sense of the place i live of my life of how things get obscured and washed out yeah and then, i
1: hope i hope so and it, it's another one of those poems in this book that tries to suggest the passage of a whole lot of time yes millions of years maybe <laughs> or hundreds of thousands of years and to do so in a, in a small space And though it seems very final, I couldn't put this poem at the end of the book. Um, This has to come in the middle of the book. And in fact, this poem is positioned right before the Great Big Whale poem and Death of That Whale. yeah there's something very intimate and and uh fluid about the second person pronoun it it can do a lot of things speaking in singular speaking in plural speaking intimately speaking with a big sweep of inclusion um yeah I don't know
0: (laughs) well and and also then the third person they you've got you and they in that first line whoever they are exactly and and then the last line you really shift the grammatical mood keep walking pilgrim you know there's an imperative there right and then this wisdom statement this is your great tale and I I find it that line those lines just so heartbreaking but incredibly encouraging I hope so
1: the thing that we thought was going to be our our contribution isn't at all going to be our contribution but maybe something else will or maybe the the simple trace of our presence the Print that we might leave whatever whatever that footprint is or simply the journey that we have taken yeah. in the pilgrimage of our life yeah to keep going yeah that in itself is the great story that each of us tells
0: yeah and that choice of word Pilgrim I mean it's it's a very meaningful word to me having walked two hundred and forty miles on a pilgrimage across the Himalaya,
1: oh yeah, there's but, something suggested in that word of something like the holy um something like the impoverished, something like the nomadic. I wanted all of those intonations to to be there in in that word that's a word I've never used in a poem before, and maybe maybe never again, but uh-huh. it actually seems to be the right one for this. This well, little poem took me forever <laughs> to, to get it right. Seems so
0: effortless when I read it, David.
1: Well, that's the secret, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's an amazing five lines, and the really the, your soulfulness comes through in that word choice in Pilgrim. It's like the really uh, the the soul, the heart and soul of what this whole book is about is keep walking, keep looking, keep keep searching, keep questioning.
1: I'm I'm glad that that's what you hear when you hear that.
0: Well, I would love to hear another poem. We Are Gone would be a good choice.
1: You bet. That seems like another one of those pretty terminal poems, doesn't it? I know. (laughs) (laughs) We Are Gone. This is the poem that ends the fourth section, um, or ends just before... The the fourth section finds another one of those little echo poems. We are gone. Even the night cooling down is slick with heat. Even the sheet we share like a humming skin. From three stories up, the sounds of the street. Drinkers at the curb. A wet hiss of dry tires is a rhythm through our box fan, like panting. When we sleep, it is piecemeal until morning. Listen, the years are short, they are nothing. I write each morning while you are at work. In the heat of day, I walk to the library, cold water at the fountain, air-conditioned air. Walk with a new book, back in the elm-lined shade. At night, I meet you at the top of the stairs. Where are you gone, who loved me so long one summer, far from home? Days are long. Even the heat is lovelier there, as memory is. We make lemonade from powder. Little wonder the years are less than a breath, like a song on the radio heard as the rhythm of languor. Whistle of the ice cream truck, drinkers at the curb, days and nights of heat, of sex, such tenderness. When we sleep sometimes, it is to dream of the days where are they gone meeting on the stairs laughter and light a small meal a bottle of wine when we wake it is piecemeal until we are gone
0: oh beautiful beautiful that was david baker reading his poem we are gone here on the hive poetry collective ksqd santa cruz 90.7 fm Oh, David, this poem just really, it just ends with such heartbreaking wisdom and so beautifully written, so much music in this poem. Thank and you. one thing I, I really admire is how erotic this poem is. <laughs> and, and the tone is in all of the description of things uh, until the turn towards the end of the poem. like you. Even the night cooling down is slick with heat. Even the sheet we share like a humming skin. And then in the second stanza, wet hiss of dry tires. And in the third stanza, rhythm through our box fan like panting. And then sax doesn't come in until later in the poem when there's that line days and night of heat of sex, such tenderness. And even that the syntax is broken down
1: mm-hmm.
0: when, when we come to that. it's
1: Yeah, the whole poem is descriptive of the body, of a kind of sensual detailing of, of everything, of of hunger, of thirst, of, of this heat um, long ago. Um, I spent a a long very hot summer in Tulsa many many years ago with with a partner who would go to work all day and I stayed home and worked on poems and read books and it was so hot we had no air conditioning mm-hmm. I, and I would I would go to the library to hang out because it was it was cool there and I tried to I tried to indicate some things about how long ago this was by um, like a detail, like making lemonade out of powder. You yes. really do it. That sort of, that sort of positions you in, in time or to listening to music on the radio. Yes. You know, there, there things that are pretty antique or far away. This is another one of those poems that moves back and forth between a quick and a slow passage of time. Yeah. The, days, the days are very long, but the years are very quick and almost nothing, and evaporate um, in, in front of us. Into yeah, a...
0: I, I love that line, listen, the years are short, they are nothing. And then the, the turn, I write each morning while you're at work, right, right down into that uh, different perspective of time. The... Yeah,
1: that's a sort of bossy little thing at one point. Listen, the years are short. You know, yeah. The... That sort of instructive voice. Look, I'm going to tell you the truth here. Listen to this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but the three stanzas above that with that description and the beauty and the music of those lines, you've earned that. (laughs) I'm going to listen to you.
1: Good. Yeah, I wanted this one to be really pretty. I had been reading. I remember as as, as I read it. I remember reading Donald Justice poems and listening to the just gorgeous lyricism of of Donald Justice, who was a master of couplets, for Mm. one. Mm-hmm. and a master of understatement and of a kind of suggested rhyme this poem doesn't exactly rhyme so there's there's some haunted thing there as well in the music uh, that i was learning from justice
0: oh yeah it's really it, you can hear it in the sound there and and then at the end of the poem that kind of the heartbreaking wisdom when we wake it's piecemeal until we are gone which echoes this piecemeal sleep earlier in the poem. That's right. Yeah, yeah, really, really beautiful. We're kind of coming to the end of the hour. I wanna ask, what's next for you?
1: Well, I'm I'm sort of doing two things right now. I'm not teaching this semester and I have this book that's out and I have the good chance to do quite a bit of travel. Um, I've got a reading tonight, (laughs) in fact, (laughs) uh, to, to give and I'm on the road. This weekend up into Michigan and next week back here and then to uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania and then to Chicago. So I, I'm out and about with this book quite a bit and it feels like a, a, a fortunate thing. I'm really looking forward to coming to Santa Fe and San Francisco and Santa Cruz and points west um, in October and November to do some readings. The other thing I'm doing is just writing Um Like crazy. I'm writing new poems and trying to see through the through the haze again what I should do or what the next poem should be and feeling my way along. So I'm working on some new things as well.
0: That's great. Well, we're really looking forward to having you here in Santa Cruz on November 8th uh, with Shelley Wong. And uh, for our listeners, please come to our website, HivePoetry.org. And find the link for the Eventbrite tickets at MA. The, the reading is free, but uh, you need a ticket to come in. So we'd love to see you there. And David, thank you so much for your beautiful poetry and sharing your work with us here on The Hive. Uh, it's been really great to spend this hour with you.
1: Well, it's been really fun to talk with you, Julie. And I'm really grateful for how much, how much time you spent with this book and these poems and how how fully you know it it's the, the kind of reader that we hope for when we work so hard on a poem it's to have a reader who will work that hard to uh to live with the poems i appreciate it
0: well these these poems invite that kind of living so <laughs> i hope our listeners go out and and buy your book and come to your readings wherever wherever you are and um maybe we can just hear you read the last little poem at the end of section 5 you bet and uh we'll just
1: the echo? Let that
0: take us off the air
1: that little echo
0: yes that little echo that little echo
1: this is the very last poem in the book doesn't have a title it doesn't take much only a little the cottonwood seeds in fluffs like white foam upon green waters seeming to sail back to slender branch tips that only seconds before let them go on the waving breeze when have you felt so moved as they are moved and to whom to what
0: thank you david and thank you listeners for joining us here on the (laughs) high